Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 92, How Paul Tremblay Writes. Welcome, my friends, to another fantastic episode. For the first time in a very, very long time, in this episode, I get to interview a horror writer. For whatever reason, it's not intentional. I just, I've not had a ton of horror writers on the show. I was super pumped to dive in with Paul for what makes for a good horror story, especially as we come into Halloween. Paul and I, we dive into his process for creating horror and some of his inspirations. I personally, I learned a ton in this episode. And in a way, it kind of helped me reevaluate my beliefs about the horror genre in general. I realized, even though I've not thought of myself as somebody who reads a lot of horror, I in fact really like it. I've generally been an enormous scaredy pants. Like I get really scared. But after I this interview, I really realized and understood the complexity, the depth of horror a little bit better. I want to say a very special thank you to Paul. This interview was super fun. I know you're going to enjoy it. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the interview with Paul Tremblay. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's very special guest is Paul Tremblay. Paul is an American author of seven novels of horror, dark fantasy, and science fiction. His essays and short fiction have appeared in the Los Angeles Times, New York Times, Entertainment Weekly Online, and numerous years and best anthologies. Whew, I'm having to like really pronunciate each <laughs> word here, which I'm not great at. Paul's latest novel, No Sleep Till Wonderland, was released uh, just recently on April 20th, 2021. Paul is also going to be featured in When Things Get Dark, stories inspired by Shirley Jackson, along with Joyce Carol Oates, Josh Mailerman, and many others. Amazon, I thought this was fun kind of coming into Halloween. Amazon is calling the book a chilling anthology in tribute to the genius of Shirley Jackson. Also, lastly in my research, Paul, I found a tweet, a very <laughs> famous tweet, where Stephen King said, a head full of ghosts, one of Paul's novels, scared the living hell out of me, and I'm pretty hard to scare. So now it seems like Paul, you can just like die happy. Is that is that? Yeah. Like- you mean uh, April ninth? I mean uh, August nineteenth, twenty two thousand fifteen. Oh, you mean that day? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be here. Yeah, I am so excited to interview you, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It is because I have not interviewed that many horror writers. Um, you know, we, I've interviewed a ton of authors and, and all sorts of different genres. But I was trying uh-huh. to think of the last time I interviewed someone who, who would describe themselves, kind of self-described horror writer. And I think it was all the way back in episode two. So you're talking 88 episodes ago wow. um, of Victor Laval. That's kind of the oh, last great. Slide, yeah, like self-styled, yeah, self-styled horror writer. And so um, I want to start out with horror because, okay. because I, I think my audience is probably starved for it. And I want to <laughs> talk about this genre. Now, I am not a very... Uh, good person to talk about because I get scared very easily. I don't like scary movies. Oh, that means and you're I, the perfect person. Uh, yeah, right. I don't like scary <laughs> books. 
And so I, I really do. I get, I stay up all night and I don't sleep and I'm like sweaty and uncomfortable. I'm like waking <laughs> my wife up. So let's, let's start with what, what are the components? Like what makes for great horror? Oh boy. Well, I mean, I mean to me, that's sort of the exciting part about, you know, horror as a genre. I, you know, it's, I like to view it as this big sort of giant, very welcoming tent. There are so many different ways to approach a horror story uh, and so many ways to sort of mix genres or to sort of, mm-hmm. sort of sneak it in. Um, I know I could be really obnoxious and argue that, you know, Macbeth is a horror story, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I won't today. Um, so for me, that's sort of the exciting appeal. And also because horror has expectations and tropes, I know as a writer, it's fun to sort of either lean into them or more times than not for me is trying to, sort of undercut those expectations or play with those expectations. So it's almost, you know, in some ways it's like a built-in writing prompt engine. You know, there are so many like, like, Oh, I don't like, I don't like home invasion stories. Oh, how would I write one? I mean, and then I had a novel out of that essentially. Right. So you're Um, you're saying I should ask myself why I get so scared and then scribble some ideas down that that would be. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) No, I mean, please. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm a giant scaredy cat. I still get like, you know, I, I was telling students today about a movie that I, saw a few years ago that I couldn't sleep the rest of the night because it was so terrifying. Okay. What um, movie was it? Just curious. Cause I uh, it was, watch it, but yeah, it was called, uh, or it's called terrified, uh, okay. uh, an Argentinian movie. So Atarados, I think if I'm saying that correctly, is okay. the, you know, in Spanish. Um, so, so, so what's like the, I, I know of all the genres, I know probably the least, if not nothing <laughs> about horror. And so this is why I'm so excited to talk to you. Cause I'm excited to learn myself. Like wh- what is it when you think about what makes for good horror? What, what is it that are like the, the kind of core fundamentals of, Hey, you got to make sure you have this, 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 and this right. to make for a scary story. So, I mean, I, I almost think that's like two different questions, like to make okay. for scary story or to make for horror. So like, I don't necessarily define horror by the scare because oh, so I'll start okay. there because okay. the scare okay. to me, what's scary is so subjective, just like mm. what's funny is subjective. Um, you know, what makes you laugh may not make me laugh. And obviously what scares you might not scare me and vice versa. Uh, you know, I, I think we can intellectualize, oh, that's supposed to be scary or the, oh, that's supposed to be funny. So if I'm writing something that's supposed to be horror, I tend to concentrate on you know, emotional connections with the characters. And I think disturbing is maybe a little bit more like something I can like, okay, I think most people would see this as a disturbing thing. I have no idea if it will scare somebody. So this might sound strange, but I I really, Mm -hmm. I never, I don't worry about the scare. I don't think about the scare. Um, What what I try to instead concentrate on is sort of what I'd said with the characters. Um, So that said, like if if I'm writing, for me, my favorite horror stories, and again, there's so many different ways to approach it. But in general, if you can think of any story, like we're, we're right, you're writing a story, within that story, there's going to be some sort of reveal of a truth, the truth of the story, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason why you're writing a story, um, if we boil it down to a truth. Um, and in a horror story, obviously, typically the truth that's revealed is <laughs> not a good one. It's, you know, it's right. a pretty terrifying or scary or terrible truth. Uh, and I think the most effective horror stories have that reveal, especially at the novel length, have that reveal of the truth about the two thirds point of the story. And then, then after that reveal, now that the characters have had this you know, thing happen, now the characters get to be asked the most difficult and most interesting questions. You know, what are they going to do now that they know this? You know, what decisions are they going to make? How do they live through this? How does anybody live through this? Um, I don't know. And to me, that's sort of like, uh, I don't want to say template, but that's usually when I'm thinking about when I'm writing yeah. my horror stories. 
So, so let's, let's dive into this truth because it's phenomenal. Um, how often I get on like a certain topic and there'll be like podcast after podcast where it's, we're dancing around the same concept. And so I'm so happy to come at this from now a different angle and get even more perspective on it. But <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about this idea of a truth. And so it's like, is the truth a truth of humanity? Is it a truth of the character? Is it a philosophical truth? Is it a, what, what, what does that even mean? Yeah, good, good question. I mean, I, I kind of think it could be all all three. I mean, it could yes. be a personal truth. It could be a societal truth. It could be yeah. a universal truth. Like, you know, the movie Get Out, for example, um, you know, I think many people who wouldn't necessarily consider themselves horror fans are at least aware of that movie. Right. I mean, sort of like the terrible truth that's revealed in that story is that, you know, this, you know, this white town is using black bodies, yeah. uh, you know, for their advantage. And, it, you know, obviously it's a little bit of a metaphor for the, um, you know, sort of for like the white supremacist sort of, you know, social structures that we have, but, mm-hmm. you know, and then it becomes, okay, wh- what is our main character going to do with this knowledge? Like, and what are the rest of them going to do with this knowledge when they know he knows um, like that way is sort of like a reveal of a truth. And, you know, sometimes I guess it does sort of like what you're saying. It almost sounds almost hand wavy, but I'm okay with that because <laughs> I always feel like, I don't know, like stories to me are always like a, in some way, a description of an emotion or feeling that you couldn't do any other way. Like right, right. as a reader, I, I, as a reader, I have to admit, I, I forget details, story details, character names, even of the stuff I've written. Um, <laughs> but what I never forget is, what, is how the story made me feel. I vividly yeah. remember the emotions of that story. So like some of my favorite writers, especially ones that may go wildly off into surreal areas, it's like, oh, like, what does it feel like, you know, to exist in this time? Like, here's this book. This, this book describes how it feels like to, to go through this or to, to live through this. I don't know if I'm explaining myself. No, I, I, I know. I, I totally think you are. I, and, and it's certainly something that's been aligned with, with um, interviews I've done talks with other writers, not anything to do with the podcast. Just, it's been like the central theme in my life. I don't know if I'm like attracting this talk of like, it's almost like theme truth. Like all these things uh-huh. are, are kind of like, uh, maybe I'm like being a magnet right now. Cause I just want to talk about it so much. Okay. So, so, so here's the question. Are, are you consciously, picking your truth or the truth of the story of the character ahead of time or are you saying let it come out how it comes out and manifest and then i'll react to it right i'd say it's definitely it's generally it's more the latter okay. uh you know maybe typically i might start with a what if um but then you know the heart of the story is you know exploring what made me excited about that what if and that's usually you know when the characters really so i mean the character does two things right i mean one the story, the story determines the character, but also the character determines the story. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the fun part. Like that's the moment of discovery. Even if I loosely plot out the story, what the char- what the characters do <laughs> is the part that is always fluid and, and changes for me. Um, so I don't know. I feel like I spend most of my time, frankly, uh, trusting my subconscious. Yeah. Um, right. However, like you know, so that means like maybe. I'm writing and something happens I didn't expect. I don't know what it quite means yet, but I'm going to trust my subconscious that it should be there. But if by the time I get to the end of the story, if I can't explain to myself why, a, you know, a certain mm-hmm. scene or, or a certain character action is, is there, you know, then it's got to go. So it's a little bit of, yeah, I'm just going to trust subconsciously. And then by the end, I got to make sure that at least, you know, I still could be wrong. I don't know, but at least I could... <laughs> You know, at least I can describe to myself or explain to myself why each and every part is sort of where it's supposed or where I ended up putting it. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That 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 totally makes sense. So when you think about last question on theme, and then I, I promise I won't I won't just keep beating this dead horse in sure. different ways. But um, when you're writing, you get to the end of it, and your subconscious is maybe done. 25% of the manuscript, whatever percent of the manuscript that mm-hmm. it's done. So you get to the end of it and you're saying, okay, now I'm going to start trying to rationalize and make sense of what could potentially be a ton of scenes, a ton of characters. Maybe they make sense. Maybe they don't. Right? You go into right. the awful part of editing. Um, and it's not awful. I'm being dramatic, but you know what I'm saying? Like the hard, <laughs> the hard work yeah. I should say of editing. I think a lot of people are like the harder parts, the first draft and it's like, that's hard. Mm-hmm. It's also, and it is hard to edit. Anyways, are you saying, are you butting up against like, hey, does this align with my theme or not? What I'm trying to ask is how important is it as you go into the editing process? Is it for you, Paul, as an author to have a really firm grasp on the theme or the truth? Um, for me, I would say generally, yes, or at least some sort of grasp. Um, re- relatively, I don't want to say relatively early, but you know, as a writer... I think I, I, maybe I annoy other writers because I'm not, I wish I could just like spill out a draft and then go edit. Right. I, I'm one of those writers that edits as I go, like okay. actually quite almost like obsessively. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, you know, I'll move, you know, 500 words a day if I can, but usually a lot of those 500 words are what I added to the day before. And if it's a novel, I'm typically restarting at a chapter with my editing as I go, you know, so I'm really moving forward by like inches per day, but it adds right. up, you know, you know, a year later, it's a novel. Right. So by the time I do have a draft, typically, you know, for a novel, typically, you know, the theme is there and the, and the major parts are there. Like, the, you know, I'm still going to edit afterwards, but it tends to be more of them of minutiae, I suppose, as opposed yeah. to like you know, big wholesale changes typically don't happen. Pretty clean. Yeah. Although, yeah. Although, you know, every book's different. Like the one I just finished this summer, I ended up having to take out like 30 pages, um, you know, which is a lot for me post-draft, mm. <laughs> you know, because okay. as I said, I do a lot of editing yeah. and cutting as I go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know, like every book's different. That's actually one other thing I do. That's no, not related to your question, but I try to approach every book as being different than the one before. It's like this fine balance where like, I want to have the confidence that, Hey, I've written a novel before, so it's okay if things get rough. But at the same time, I try to fool myself into believing, Oh, this is totally new this time. Cause I don't want to Mm. get bored. I don't want to feel yeah. like I'm doing the same thing every time. Right. right. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's talk about horror a little bit. So let's just say, um, since uh-huh. we talk about theme, let's just say you've got, you've got a book idea, uh, has the same theme, same general character, same general flow or plot. I mean, general, I'm underlying the word general. What is it you think you can do writing horror and where can you go and how can you express that story and that theme and character differently as opposed to if you're writing something else like sci-fi or fantasy mm-hmm. or literary fiction? Like, What are the tools in the toolbox of horror that maybe aren't present with other genres? And I, I don't like to harp on genre, but, but for this discussion, I think it's important. I think it's relevant. Does that sure. question make sense? Yeah, it does. I, it's going to be hard for me to, if any. to answer. Yeah. Um, only because like, I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, I do think literary fiction is a genre. Um, right. Just like everything else is a genre. However, I mean, I kind of feel like I, what I write is a mashup of horror fiction and literary fiction. Um, and that's not to say that horror can't in and of itself be literary. I mean, it, there is nothing innately to any genre that prevents you from having theme, symbol, character, setting, yes. et cetera. Right? There's nothing innate to the horror genre. Yeah. that sort of precludes that from happening 
or any genre. Um, I, like, I mean, so, like, so what, for me, like, I, I feel at? like the answer for science fiction, I don't know, was I'm doing because I'm, I, I can't lean on the science. Like, I'm just not comfortable doing that. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it, as far as the tools of a horror writer, I don't know. I, maybe, hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I can answer that because to me, like, I don't really have in my mind, like a, uh, a separate box for horror in in literary fiction. I kind of feel like what I do is sort of fits in both. And most of the the horror that I like, because there's a lot of horror I don't like, but a lot of the horror that I gravitate towards is is doing both. Um, You know, I will say though, let me, let me come at it this way. Then I feel like I've seen some missteps from, from writers who write typically literary fiction and then try to dip into maybe genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the mistakes that I see there is that they'll use some genre elements, but they won't, they don't commit to that genre element. You know, and it's not even that they're using uh, ambiguity. It's almost like they introduce the genre elements almost just to pull it away to be like, Oh no, it's not actually this kind of story. You know, we're going to stick to sort of the literary fiction tropes. And again, I feel like I'm not explaining myself fully, but yeah, yeah it's almost like I know it when I see it. <laughs> yeah, the, the the question came from, um, you said something that really stood out to me when it came to horror. When you're when you said, you know, I write the things that disturb me, and that that stood out because as a as a writer, for me, I I don't I don't know if I've written something. Or intentionally tried to write something, I should say. Sometimes I write stuff that disturbs me. It's just because it's that bad. You know what I mean? But I, I, it's not like good, bad. It's just mm-hmm. bad writing, you know, and I'm disturbed by how bad it is. But, but I've not, I've not yet, I think, written something that disturbed me. And, and so I was, I was wondering, you know, if, if horror, in a sense, as a genre, is again, very loosely defined because it's, it's just where books get put on a bookshelf, right? But like as, sure. a, as a genre, if horror allows you to to tap into more disturbing parts of the human experience that, that, that maybe mm-hmm. some of the other genres don't, I mean, I, I mean, clearly some aren't going to like kidlet's not going to have the same elements as like right. horror, of course, but like, you know, d- does it allow you to tap into some of the, like the darker parts of, of people of psychology? I mean, does it help you get after the shadow in a way that maybe some other form maybe wouldn't? Yeah. I mean, I think absolutely. I mean, yeah. in terms of like when I described the reveal of a truth, I mean, you can have a literary fiction story or, or, or even a romance story yeah. that reveals a terrible truth, but you know, it doesn't necessarily make it mean horror. I mean, I think there is, there's a, the essence of like, there's a transgression uh, of some sort of, whether it's morals or, or you know, the actions of a character, or there's some sort of transgression that pro- you know, that usually goes on in a horror story. And I think that's probably why in some cases a lot of people have like sort of like a bad taste or like horrors mm-hmm. left a bad taste in their mouth because they've seen some or a red horror that maybe fails as art. And when it does fail, it sort of fails spectacularly because there's this terrible transgression. Um, right. You know, that makes you sort of feel icky afterwards, potentially. Right. There's, um, there's like a violence that you didn't want to take part in with no reward. It, it, does horror fail spectacularly when, when there's like a, a, violence and not, not necessarily physical but just psychological or some some form of violence that, that doesn't quite have like the payoff i think that's, that's a what, good question yeah. yeah so it's hard because like 
you know, there's a movie like, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is Evil Dead 2. And the, and the violence is that is purposefully cartoonish and over the top. Right. And what makes that such a fun experience is just the, the raw kinetic energy of this, of this bonkers, crazy movie. <laughs> um, but like, you know, so if, in terms of fiction and, and the things that I tend to lean towards, you know, I try to treat violence with, 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 I try to treat violence in a way that dignifies the experience of the characters. And what I mean by that is, if there's a violent episode in one of my books, because I'm not playing horror for laughs in any of my books, um, I want to I want to sort of respect the experience, obviously, of the victim. I want to respect the spirit of this of the. I want to respect the experience of the witnesses and even the perpetrator. Everyone mm-hmm. within sight of this violent act is going to be changed by this. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be changed, and that to me needs to be reflected. You know, in the rest of the book after that. You know, so so many times. You know, and this happens in action movies. You know, it's part of the sort of, uh, you know, it happens in action, I guess, stories and films. It was part of the thing where it's like, yeah, people get shot and the characters are just like joking afterwards. Like, uh, I don't know, you know, and honestly, it all boils down to like sentimentality, like fake emotion. Like, that's not true. Like, (laughs) that's what really throws me out of many stories where it does, this doesn't feel true. Like it, um, it just doesn't feel like this is how it would be. And, and, you know, that sort of boils down to my approach of how I try to write stories, even if they may have a hint of supernatural, I try to make it seem like this could really happen. This is what it would feel like. Um, yeah, uh, I think I lost the thread of the original question, no, but no, I was I mean, talking, this is all this, this yeah. is all great because I, I feel like I'm getting like a horror master class, horror <laughs> master class here. You know, I'm trying for for me, I'm, I'm trying to um, I always like to kind of pull things apart and try and look at it from a couple different angles and think like, what is it that's unique about this thing? Um, and from a very outsider perspective, yeah. oh, like horror writers, please don't get mad at me as I say this, yeah. but from an outside perspective, it seems like to me, horror, horror is, is a, um, it's a genre. It's, it's a tool. It's what, whatever you want to call it that allows or, or is, maybe maybe more open towards getting at some of the injustice or dark side of the human experience more than maybe mm-hmm. some of the other genres are able to do and that to me is really interesting i mean i, I don't yeah. like being scared but i like being i don't i like to get out i hate to say it i mean i wasn't scared but i like oh it. yeah it's nothing I yeah, hate about right. it. yeah. it's an amazing movie yeah i mean yeah i mean it's an unbelievably good movie but um so interesting. Okay, let's 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 change gears here because I I uh, read something in your bio when I was researching you, and I was like, okay, I got to dig into this one. So you have a uh, advanced degree, uh, master's degree, yeah, in mathematics. I do. Okay, so you did not come out. You were not born coming out saying I'm going to be a writer. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> what was that journey like? When, when when I mean, clearly you you were sometime in adulthood when this yeah. idea of doing doing this writing thing gained full steam so what what was your journey like to becoming a writer yeah i mean it i probably different than most but uh i mean i think certainly different than most i mean as a you know i was i'll say i grew up in the 80s graduated high school in 1989 you know i i wasn't a reader for pleasure i was you know i don't know i was a good boy i, I read <laughs> what the english teachers assigned me but you know i wasn't like reading on my own like I don't know. I was at the dawn of cable television. So I came home every day and I was just watching HBO, watching movies. Right, right, right. You know, and that was my first sort of love art. Love was, was all movies essentially, you know, and I stuck with math because I was good at it. Like didn't really have a whole lot of a direction. 
Um, but when I was a senior in college, well, in college, I ended up in this story is boring, but I ended up a double major math and humanities, but my humanities was just a hodgepodge, like right. some philosophy, a couple of history and my second semester, senior year, you know, one of the last classes I ever took was an English class. And I think it was like lit one one Yeah. You know, me and a bunch of freshmen, a senior and a bunch of freshmen. <laughs> uh, my, my professor was a super cool guy, you know, almost like that stereotypical English professor experience that, you know, people, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, want or, or dream of, or I just really connected with them. And mainly it was because I was big into punk and so was he. Um, and so like a good teacher, you know, he was able to connect me with some of the literature that way. And in that class, we read Joyce Carol Oates' Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? Um, it's a very dark, horrific story. Yeah, it's brilliant. I've never, I've never read and it. And I'll, I'll never forget reading it. Like after reading it, I was like, oh, I didn't know people wrote things like this. Um, mm-hmm. And shortly after that, I went off to graduate school uh, to get my master's degree by the skin of my teeth. Um, and I was doing a long distance relationship with my girlfriend, who's now my wife at the time. Um, and right before I left, she bought me Stephen King's The Stand and I read it. And while I was up in Vermont, you know, getting my degree, um, the rest of the time I was just holed up in my room reading all the Stephen King I could get. And then <laughs> from there, I sort of branched out to like, you know, Peter Straub, Shirley Jackson, and then, yeah. you know, outside of genre too, like Kurt Vonnegut, et cetera. And so... You know, at the end of those two years, like I, I realized, I guess I'd always wanted to have some sort of want for a, a artistic outlet. Like I was also teaching myself to play guitar. So in the in the mid ni- the mid to late nineties, I was messing around with writing music and writing my first stories. And honestly, if I had my druthers, uh, I would have much preferred to have been a, a punk rock musician, <laughs> semi successful. But you know, unfortunately, I found out I was a better uh, writer than I was a musician. Right. But yeah, that was a, that was a start. Um, okay. And then, and was, then wh- wh- where was the jump? At what point did you, um, wh- at what point did you realize, my God, this thing's got legs. Like this isn't just, you know, a side thing I do on nights and weekends. Right. Like, this is serious. Yeah. I think what year, it's fine. Like right around the time my son was born in 2000, I sold my first, what was quote unquote considered professional paying for a short story. It was three cents a word at the time. Um, and that, that was definitely a real motivator, you know, and then I sold a few more. Um, so that was definitely an early boost. Um, and then like in the first half of that first decade of the two thousands, like an important writing lesson for me was when I first started, I was like, I'm a horror writer. I wore this badge that said horror writer in my head, but then <laughs> um, you actually had? I was like, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, uh, <laughs> I wrote the short story and sent it to another writer who you know yeah. was much more well-published than I was like, Hey, this is a great story. It would be even really great if you didn't even have the horror element to it. And I was like, huh. And so at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to think of myself as a writer who writes horror. And to me, that meant, okay, mm-hmm. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to serve the story, all, all things to serve the story, not mm-hmm. serve me. But yeah. so if this story isn't a horror story, I'm not going to force it to be one. Yeah. So when I, when I, got, my, I got my agent um, with, a, with a comedy novel, like for, from like 2003 to 2000, really almost up to 2015, all my long, all my novel attempts were humorous and all my short fiction was horror, which was kind of strange. Yeah. But also at the same time, I think humor and horror are really just different reactions to the same thing. Right. Like life's, you can react to life's absurdities either in horror or you can, you know, sort of laugh uh, sarcastically. Um, yeah. So, I mean, to me, that was a really important lesson that I had to learn as a writer was, you know, I'm not going to take something and try to force it to be something it's not. Everything has to serve the story. 
So, yeah. so that ended up becoming every choice. If it's point of view, why is, you know, why is it first person? Why is it third person? It has to be there for a reason for the story. You know, my, my interest in proclivities sort of tend to the, the darker side of things anyway. Right, so I wasn't right. really worried that I was going to, you know, stop writing horror. Um, but yeah, so I would say when I got my agents, that definitely felt like, oh, this is serious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've had ebbs and flows. Like I got the agent. We didn't sell the book. But then I wrote a, a, this humorous comedy novel called A Little Sleep, which we sold in 2007. So that felt legit. And then, you know, I sort of assumed being with the big publisher, all my problems would be solved, <laughs> which was not the case. <laughs> you know, then yeah. I, the first two books didn't do so well. So I spent like three to four years licking my wounds. But then I wrote A Head Full of Ghosts, which is really that's the book which came out in 2015 that Stephen King tweeted about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that was the book that really, I want to say, gave my career a second chance. It really sort of made my career. I don't know if I yeah. had a first career. <laughs> yeah. 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 What you said, I think is really important and it's a really hard lesson. Um, it's one I've, I've personally had to take my stripes over is this idea that uh, it's all about the story all about the story it's all about the story and for me i mean for me it's it was um finding ways to reduce my ego that showed up in the story Mm -hmm. and this this desperate need to show how i could put together this wildly complex and difficult and smart (laughs) novel and Uh i read it and i was like god this sucks like this is awful (laughs) Yeah, I did it, but it's just a uh-huh. shit story. You know what I mean? Like it's just awful and it has no soul. And and I've I've been on that journey of the past couple of years, really, of of being like, boy, the less of me, the less of my ego that shows up in this thing, the better it is. And the more mm-hmm. I try and show up in the novel, it just winds up every single time. I'm like, wow, this is the weakest part. And so uh-huh. you saying that I think has a really um it's one of those things that that can sound like a Passover statement. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But it's so important. It, it really is. It, it's one of those things that's like a um, opens up so much freedom in the storytelling process when it's not about you and it is about sure. the story. And so I just wanted to take a moment and highlight that because I do yeah. think it's absolutely critical. Yeah, absolutely no, I agree. Critical. But I think also, I think you can approach it sort of from the other side too. Like, I mean, if you really want something there, you then you have to figure out how to make sure it's it's there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like I, I fall in love sometimes with different narrative, narrative nodes or, or modes or techniques. So for example, um, we have, we, we adopted a dog like five years ago and you know, our kids were older at the time. It's like, you know, we're going to need a dog walker like a couple times a week, which is sort of like a weird thing to do. And so it felt weird like having someone come in our house. But anyway, so every day they would leave a note, the dog walker would leave a note. And it was like, they were leaving a note for like a human, almost like what I would get from daycare. <laughs> like, Oh, Holly, you know, she had a lot of fun today. Pee, poop, check. It's like, this is amazing. Like I have to write a story totally just out of notes from dog walkers. You know, so that was my <laughs> ego. I wanted to do yeah. this, Yeah. you know, but uh, I had to find a story to fit with it. And it took me a long time. Uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about it constantly, but it was there. It's like, man, I want to try this sometime. I need to figure out a way. And I don't know. That was something as a way to, sort of serve both the story and serve both like my want, like, okay, if you want to do this, you really need to find a way to make sure that it was totally necessary to do it this way. Right. Um, and eventually I did write uh, a, a novella called notes from the dog walkers. So it did, uh, it did get done. 
I think the underlying bold asterisk piece is the totally necessary. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's where I at least personally got really caught up is just because mm-hmm. I could do something. Sure. Didn't mean that it was good and necessary and actually serve the story. That that was right. like a big distinction for me. And and in fact, in in um when I got my MFA, I had a lot of advisors, I think, trying to kindly say that. Like just because mm-hmm. you can do this doesn't mean you should. Right. Um, and I was too dense. I wasn't smart enough to like hear what they were saying. I was like, this is great, you know. Um, and so and so it's been a long lesson, uh, at least for me. So be just, just to pivot one more time before we leave, because there's something else you said was sure. so interesting. So um Joyce Carol Oates, Oates, um, wonderful, amazing, unbelievably prolific, yeah. talented writer, um, really influenced you. Stephen King really influenced you, and now you know, you're in a uh, anthology with, or not anthology, but um, what, I don't know what, what was the, yeah, the Shirley Jackson the, the anthology. Shirley Jackson. Yeah. Oh, it is an anthology. Okay. Yeah. 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 It is an anthology with Joyce Carol's. You have Stephen King tweeting about you. Is that, is there yeah. like pinch me moments coming in there? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's totally, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I try, you know, we all get frustrated. I try to remind myself, Hey, like where you were 10, you know, 15 years ago, right. if you saw yourself, you'd be like doing cartwheels. But no, like the, the Stephen King tweet, for example, is like a top five <laughs> moment in my you know writing career. Really? So I wasn't expecting it. Uh, I was home moving furniture and it was hot out and I was miserable because school <laughs> was around the corner. And then like his tweet, like friends saw his tweet before I did and they started texting me and, you know, I got teary eyed. I, you know, I became a reader, never mind a writer, you know, you know, because of Stephen. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. It's such a neat. Um, the thing to hear those influences and then to hear you, you know, now being in the court, right? Like that's, that's right. a neat thing. That's a neat thing. All right, my friend. Well, it is time for okay. me to transition <laughs> us. I, I want to keep talking about horror. Like there's something really like, I, I want to keep going on this, but I'm like looking at the time. I'm like, Brian, time, <laughs> you have to do this. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to transition us. So I, I okay. I'm going to do our final five questions. And sure. um, I ask the same questions to every single guest that comes on the show. And mm-hmm. I always give almost the exact same preamble of why I do it. And I'm going to do that again, just to stay consistent. I do this for two reasons. Number one, I like it and it's my show. So I could do what I want. Second reason is because so much of what, how writers write, what this show is all about is um, reinforcing, inspiring, empowering writers to find their way to get words on the page. Everything in the writing life opens up when you put words on the page, nothing mm-hmm. happens before that point. You right. don't edit anything, you don't publish anything. It's, you have to get words on the page. And it turns out to be really quite difficult to, to find your way of doing it. And my hope is that as you read these answers, you both get, you maybe you laugh a little bit, maybe you get inspired, but also realize everyone's different. There's never been two authors that have been the same. There's never been two mm-hmm. guests who have said, I do create the same way. And I think sometimes there's this belief that there's one way to do this thing. And boy, there is not, there right. is not. And so, that's why I do it. So with that said, here we go. Question number one, which is, what is the one word that best describes you? The one word. Tall. No, uh, Tall. It's true, but I won't use that one. Uh, okay. How about uh, persistent? Persistent. If, if there's a word for dumbly persistent, that would be better. <laughs> but that's two words. So I'd be cheating. So I'll just say persistent. Okay. Dumbly persistent. We'll, we'll, we'll hyphenate it. <laughs> let, it <laughs> let it stand. Okay. Question number two. If you had to pick a spirit book, so this is like a book that if you died and mm-hmm. you were able to be reincarnated as a book, it'd be the book you'd want to come back as. 
Okay. What book? What book would that be? Oh man, I think I. Okay, I'm so I'm so bad at these because usually I'm gonna give multiple answers, but I'll just give one answer. Uh, it's House of Leaves by Mark Danielewski. Yeah, I don't know if I want to actually live in the book because it's a pretty right. terrifying book. But yes, House of Leaves. I don't know if you've ever had the no, chance I'm not. to what read is it. it. What What is it that uh, that draws you to it? So it's you know this postmodern. Uh, I would say nightmare of a novel, but like in the, in the best way, it's really like four stories within one. Um, but there's a character who finds a book that was written by a, a blind man about uh, a documentary. <laughs> it's like, so, um, and the documentary itself is about this war photographer who, you know, when he comes back home, trying to reestablish life with his family moves into a house and the inside the interior of the house just gets bigger. Uh, not on the outside though, it's just the interior of the house gets bigger. So there's all these like crazy different layers and yeah, sounds um, like and every postmodern trick you could think of this typographical thing, you know, tricks, there's footnotes, there's an appendix, there's even like a secret code in the back <laughs> reading it, reading it is quite the undertaking. I'm proud to say I've read it twice. Okay. Um, but I, so that's a book I could certainly live in though. Okay. You know, and just keep, keep breathing. It's there. <laughs> just, just be it. You're yeah. going to be it. That is, you now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. Question number three: Is there a specific tool? It can be anything at all—pencil, software, chair, anything—that you absolutely must have to write. I, I hate this answer, but I have to have a laptop. I, yeah. I wish I could write freehand. I yeah. can't. I mean, I, I take a lot of notes. Like I keep little notebooks. You know, I have like ten or twelve of them. I lose them half the time, which is right. fun. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to actually writing the story, I, I just do too much like the mouse cutting and pasting and moving and. It has to be a laptop. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. I often think about how hard it must have been, how much harder it must have been to like type this out and be like, oh, right. one error, got to throw that page out. And <sighs> I, I can't even imagine no. how yeah. frustrating that would be. Okay, question number four. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Oh, man. Um, I know I got this question a little bit before time. It's just like, I'm not sure how I deal with it. I would say not well. <laughs> um, you know, I try to live in the story I'm writing in. And, you know, I'm in this, you know, wonderful, fortunate, privileged position to have like book deals. So right. like it's different than certainly it's much different now than it was when I was first starting out writing when I was just basically writing for my own and hoping I would sell this story or right. hoping doing something else. So in some ways, you know, for me, having the deadline helps, helps to motivate me, helps to push me, helps me to keep me on, on task, helps to avoid like the, the shiny new idea in the corner. Yeah. No, I can't go after that one because I told them I was doing this book, um, you know, which, you know, might sound like it's, uh, might sound like it's constricting in some ways, but it's not really because I'm not a, I'm not, I wish I was a writer that had a ton of like ideas in the bullpen. <laughs> I right. don't, I go from idea to idea. It's very rare that like I, it's just the way, maybe it's the math part of my brain. I don't know. Right, like, right. Compartmentalized. Yeah. Zoned yeah, in yeah. On, on this yeah. one idea. Um, I think a better answer is how I deal with the up and downs is I, I treasure my close friendships with, with some yeah. writers. And it's not that writers are the best people. I know plenty who are assholes. Can I say that? <laughs> yes. Is there anything you want? <laughs> um, but no, like, you know, my good friend, John Langan, who we talk on the phone once a week and it's just, it's reinvigorating, you know, we yeah. can complain. We can also bounce story ideas off each other. So that's how I deal with it. Like, you know, yeah. 
not to say that you have to be part of a writing group, which is probably wonderful too, but I think it's so healthy to have another, at least one other friend who's yeah. sharing the struggle that you're sharing. I couldn't agree more. Right. Writers need writers. Like we, yeah. we do, um, we do this thing alone. Right? It's a solitary endeavor often to write a mm-hmm. novel. And yet outside of that, we need to be, you know, surrounded, bathed with people who understand like oh, someone's talking to me, you know, I have a character in my head and I don't know how you, like, you can't say that to everybody. <laughs> you right. can't, not a lot of people get that. And so I think it's important. It's critically important to have that. So, okay. Last question for you. Yeah. You give one piece of advice to new writers out there. What would it be? Um, you know, besides read, 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 read. Yeah. Which is boring. I would say, uh, and I think this is getting harder and harder to do because of the nature of, of everything, but patience. And I'm going to go back to dumbly persistent. I want both be patient and dumbly persistent. So the patient part of it to me is I think really most writers, you should resist all urges. If you can to, you know, just throw your story up online yourself right. or your book. That's not to say that there haven't been writers who have successfully self-published that there certainly have, but those numbers are a lot more skewed than you could imagine. Um, I think it, it, and it's hard to be patient because you see people on writer Twitter or, you know, whatever, everyone's got these exciting projects. Right. You think, Oh my God, I'm failing. Like I, I feel that way. It's like, oh, I'm not doing enough. Um, so I know it's really hard to be patient, but the patient and the dumbly persistent part of it means, man, if you just hang around enough, if you just submit enough, if you just, you know, even just the act of submitting to editors, to agents, you, you, you slowly build like this network of people that, you know, and it gives you enough opportunities you know, all writers fail, but the, it's a numbers game. The more times yeah. you get opportunities, you know, what, all you need is one time to, to, right. to break through. So I feel like, you know, whatever success I've had is because I'm sort of the dumbly persistent part. I've been around long enough to get enough chances <laughs> yeah. to have a couple of chances work out. Right. Cause believe me, I've had, yeah. you know, my, when I said, I got my agent. I got 200 agent rejects first. Wow. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Uh, wow. 200. So, yeah. Timely to end with. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's 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 why we do this, right? Like, yeah. the whole point of being here is it's like sometimes it's going to take time. It's just part of the game sometimes, right? Right, and that's okay, right? Yeah, and I feel uh, like time is like the like one writing is like one of the few things where time is like your your friend. <laughs> like, right. you're going to experience more and you're going to learn more, and your writing is right. going to be better just by just from that fact. If right. you stick with writing. Right. Anyway, sorry, I yeah. keep rambling. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's exactly what the show is about. Paul, where can people find you on the interwebs? Where do you hang out? Um, where, hiding. People no. learn more about, where can they learn more about you? Sure. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. At, the handle is at Paul G. Tremblay. Uh, Instagram as well, at Paul G. Tremblay. Um, okay. If you go to my website, paultremblay.net, you can sign up for a free newsletter. You know, sometimes in the newsletter is not obnoxious. It's like once a month at the most. Um, yeah. And sometimes I talk about writing process a little bit or just yeah. the thing I'm working on. So, okay. Awesome. Well, Paul, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for educating me a little bit, <laughs> letting me dip my toe a little bit into the horror yeah. world. Yeah. You just um, have to get another horror writer to ask more of the horror questions. I, I know. I need to like, <laughs> I need to, to, you know, start changing up the, the guest list. Um, <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. Thanks to people. Yeah, I'm mad. Yeah. But yeah, I really appreciate I really appreciate learning about horror. I appreciate the, the really thoughtful discussion just kind of around the whole topic. 
and I'm um, learning your story. I always love to hear the stories and, and share the journeys with people. So thank you so much for, for, for your time and coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. Thank you again to Paul for his time. If you haven't yet, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Also check us out on Instagram. That is happywriter underscore co, where I post quite a bit, add some stories, all sorts of inspirational stuff. It's a good, it's a good Instagram account. I want to say a very special thank you to all the listeners out there. I thank you so much for listening, supporting this show, supporting what we do. I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.